For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday as we begin a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Check me out on social media if you haven't already. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I'm at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. So please drop me a note. Let me know what's on your mind. I love hearing from you guys. All right. Coming up here later in the week, we're going to be joined by the one and only Bill O'Reilly, who's going to talk to us about the mob. The mob as a concept, also the mob in reality, left-wing mobs, Islamist mobs, you name it. The mob has been with us since the beginning of humanity, and the mob is very dangerous. He's got a brand new book about the Salem witch hunt and the Salem trials, burning witches at the stake. That was a direct result of the mob. But what do you think we are living through right now? Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the Islamist mobs. Mobs never go away, and they are incredibly dangerous. So we're going to talk to him also about what is going on in the world, the Republicans, Democrats, Biden, Trump, you name it. Big interview, big conversation with my friend, Bill O'Reilly. That is coming up here on Thursday on the show. And in the days and weeks ahead, we're going to be joined by Senator Ted Cruz, Sean Spicer, Natasha Owens, so many. And we're still working on Kelsey Grammer, who, as you guys may know, um, is a very cherished friend of mine. In fact, earlier this year or late last year, we did an extraordinary hour plus long conversation with Kelsey, which I I believe might be the most personal interview he has ever given. Of course, he is an entertainment legend, uh, Dr. Fraser Crane on Cheers and Fraser. To my mind, the best written, funniest sitcom in television history. He created that character. He's an absolute genius. But more importantly, he is a very, very good man. And as you may know, they have just done a Frasier reboot. So I texted him the other day and I was like, Kels, you got to come back on the show and talk about the Frasier reboot. And he said, oh, Monica, I would absolutely love to. I'm waiting on Paramount to allow us to begin to go out there and talk about it. So I guess he's under contract where the cast can't speak about it until it's been out for a while, because you can see the Frasier reboot, but they've got the controls on the cast. So I promise you that Dr. Frasier Crane will join us as soon as he's allowed to do so. Big, big shows coming up here on the Monica Crowley program, so you're not going to want to miss it. Make sure you tell all of your friends, family, colleagues about this show, everybody should be listening to it. We don't want anyone suffering from FOMO for not listening to the Monica Crowley podcast. Later here today, we're going to talk to the one and only Senator Rand Paul, who is going to join us about his new book called Deception, the great COVID cover-up about Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks and all of the COVID cast of characters, including institutionally as well, the CDC, the NIH, and all of the lies that they gave us from the very beginning. It was all a pack of lies about the virus, about its origins, about the vaccines. You name it, they lied to us. And they were lying to the then President of the United States, Donald Trump. And having worked for now two American presidents, Richard Nixon in his last years, and Donald Trump in the Treasury Department, I can tell you, That when the deep state wants to destroy you, they will feed you lies 
And you have no choice but to operate on the basis of those lies and make decisions on the basis of those lies because you believe that what you are being told is the truth. How do you know? You have people around you whom you think you can trust. Like, oh, the head of the NIH who has been there for 30, 40 years, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Oh, he's a medical heavyweight. If he sucked, some some president would have gotten rid of him already. I'm telling you, this is the human mentality. Plus, when you are a president, you have a million things coming at you, a million decisions to make every single day that are life and death decisions. And then when you layer on top of all of that, the fact that you have an unprecedented situation like the COVID pandemic was, where you can't turn to anybody, no predecessor, You can't call up, you know, the last president to have to deal with a massive pandemic was, I believe, Woodrow Wilson, a hundred years prior. Well, he's long dead, and thank God, because he was a progressive nightmare. But Donald Trump could not pick up the phone and say, hey, what did y'all do during the last pandemic? That didn't exist. So he was flying without a net and made the best decisions he possibly could, given the lies that he was being told. And we're going to talk to uh, Senator Rand Paul about all of this, because he has been doing deep dives since the beginning, holding Fauci's feet to the fire. He's now written a book about it, so we're going to take it all apart with Rand Paul coming up here in just a couple of minutes. You're not going to want to miss a second of this conversation, I promise you. First up, though, Well, you're getting two Monica memos for the price of one today. The first Monica memo, happy Halloween. Boo. As I just mentioned, I have been honored to have worked for two American presidents, Richard Nixon in his last years, and Donald Trump at the Treasury Department. And I always joke, man, do I know how to pick them or what? No easy presidents for Monica, okay? Only the most controversial because... They are the most America first and the strongest leaders possible. And I wanted to start the show with this uh, today, guys, because I get a lot of questions about both presidents, but I actually get more questions about President Nixon than I do about President Trump, probably because Trump is still on the scene and he's running again for president. He's out there all the time. So I get a lot of questions more about Nixon than I do about Trump. So I thought I'd start today's show with a seasonally appropriate story. Richard Nixon's favorite holiday wasn't Christmas or Thanksgiving or Independence Day. No, it was Halloween. He absolutely loved Halloween. He was like a little kid himself, full of excitement for the holiday. Like two weeks prior, he was all like jumped up, (laughs) like ready to go, making sure that his home had enough candy and that, you know, he had lights along his driveway, making sure all the lights were working, the whole thing. Now, President Nixon did not dress up on Halloween, but he did open up his home to trick-or-treaters. He wore a jacket and tie, always which makes sense because this is the same man who once wore wingtips on the beach. Very famous photo of Richard Nixon walking along the beach alone wearing wingtips. Okay, so he was a very formal man. So on Halloween, no costume, but he wore his uniform, a jacket and tie. And tons of kids would come by. Now for the kids, this was just another house. But for the parents... This was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to meet an American president. So they were all nervous wrecks, right? And so President Nixon, in the four years that I worked for him, every Halloween, he would invite me to come over to the house to witness some of the festivities. And one year, um, I was over, and, you know, he'd wait for a group to assemble, and then he'd throw open the front door, and he would come out, and the kids were like, you know, uh, where's my uh, three musketeers? And the parents were all like, 
you know, they'd gasp when they saw President Nixon and uh, he would greet them all. So one year I'm there and I'm watching all of this unfold and I'm standing off to the side uh, unobtrusively, just sort of watching President Nixon hold court, dispensing candy, chatting up the parents, taking photos. And all of a sudden one year, and he had, he, President Nixon gave up his Secret Service because he felt like, it, it was costing the American taxpayer way too much money. In fact, he gave it up in the 1980s when it was costing the American taxpayer $3 million a year at that time to protect a former president. And he said, I do not want to be a burden on the American taxpayer. I'm going to give it up and hire my own private security. He gets no credit for this whatsoever. Like he gets no credit for anything also, like Donald Trump, gets no credit for anything. So he had his private security. And these were retired or off-duty police officers. They were armed. Um, and they would come and do these different shifts. So on Halloween, he had more security than, than usual there because, you know, it's the, the general public. Um, but Nixon was a very kind and generous man. And he wanted to do this for the kids and also to meet their parents. And he loved it. So one afternoon, I'm there on Halloween, and a man approached him wearing a Nixon mask. Now, this guy was very respectful, so I guess he thought it was funny, but I braced for President Nixon's reaction, right? Because you never know how he was going to take it. So Nixon spies the guy, and he waves him over. He shook his hand. And I swear, he said to this guy, Mr. President, you are the best chief executive this country has ever had since Washington. <laughs> now, the poor fake Nixon didn't know what to do. He was all flummoxed, and, and he quickly took off the mask and he shaking President Nixon's hand. But I'm telling you, that was clever leadership. Happy Halloween. Have a good and safe one out there, whether you're going out alone with your friends, with your kids, grandkids, whatever it might be. Happy Halloween. All right. The second Monica memo. Where else are you going to get two Monica memos, right? Unique stories like that? Nowhere except here. Second Monica memo. Our country is being purposely destroyed from within. We have plenty of external enemies, as we all know. But the most dangerous ones, obviously, are the ones from within. I gave a speech for the David Horowitz Freedom Center um, over the weekend in New Orleans, and I was making this exact point that the American people have dealt with a lot of external enemies since our founding, a lot of external enemies, from the British straight through now the Islamists. And we know how to deal with that. But what we don't know how to deal with is the enemy within. We had it once before in a very significant way, and that was during the Civil War, brother against brother, where we had a series of states and, of course, slavery as the central issue, series of states wanting to break away over the slavery issue. And thank God we had perhaps our greatest president in Abraham Lincoln, willing to put himself and everything on the line to keep the republic together. So we have experienced an enemy within once before, and it, it damn near almost tore this country apart and destroyed the United States of America. Now we have perhaps an even more dangerous and insidious enemy within. And it is a collection of Marxists, globalists, and Islamists. It's the red-green alliance, red for the communists, green for the Islamists. And they're all tied together by one mission, which is to destroy the United States of America from within. This is one of the main reasons why Biden and the Democrats want and keep the border wide open. Flood the country with all of these forces and, of course, get them on a path to citizenship and then voting so that you never again get a Republican president, ever. 
You have a one-party system, which is communism. All of these forces, all of the terrorists coming into our country, you're seeing it across Western Europe, you're seeing it around the world, you're seeing it here. All of the raging anti-Semitism did not just materialize overnight when Israel struck back after the October 7th attack by Hamas and Israel. No, this has been going on now for decades. And yes, the universities have been breeding grounds for Marxism, anti-Semitism, every other kind of radicalism for decades. And over time, it's just spilled out into the general population. What you are seeing in the streets, guys, this did not just come out of thin air. Obviously, this raging, rampant anti-Semitism has been always there, bubbling under the surface. And how sickening is that thought? But it's all been weaponized and will continue to be weaponized in an ever more accelerating and dangerous kind of way. Our country is being destroyed from within. Our border is purposely wide open, and we have been and continue to be invaded. Our cities are in collapse. They're crime-ridden hellholes where nobody is safe. Our colleges and universities are cesspools of radicalism and hate. They're sending out standing armies of potential jihadis, of Marxists, of, of kids who are so deeply indoctrinated that there is no penetrating that indoctrination. One of the other lines that I got a big response to during my speech over the weekend was when I say, you know, I hear from parents all the time who say, look, I raised my kids with great values, with religious faith, with resources. They want for nothing. They've never wanted for anything. I've showered them with love and respect and everything else. And I sent them to school, whether it's public school, private school, universities, And those kids come back so indoctrinated that I've had parents say to me, I can't get through to them anymore. I don't know who my kid is. And if you've had this experience, I want you to to please send me an email at Podcast at gmail.com because this is absolutely heartbreaking. I use that line at my speech. And then after my speech, I had a number of parents come up to me and say, I love my child, but I don't understand my child anymore. And I cannot get through to them with logic, with common sense, with the truth, with the facts. And they look so heartbroken and it breaks my heart. But this is where we are. Communists always go for the kids indoctrinate them so that they will have a standing army of these people as they go through life. Because they know the psychology of this. Once you adopt a set of political values, very difficult to change them because they become part of your identity. I also meet on the flip side people who have been indoctrinated who wake up. So there is hope. But we all have to do the hard work and treat these people, you know, softly. I know we all want to scream and yell at them to wake up, but we have to we have to deal with these people, you know, in a very calm way with the facts and and treat them as the psychologically manipulated people that they are. We have more veterans and people than we can count who are homeless in this country. Two-thirds of the American people are living paycheck to paycheck. We are all struggling from inflation, high gas prices, and the people suffering the most are the middle working classes and the poor. The Biden regime has destroyed our energy independence, a gift that Donald Trump and his tough energy policies gave to us, and we are printing money like crazy This at least partly explains why Biden's poll numbers, man, he's sucking salt, and deservedly so. New polling shows that he has dropped to about 37% job approval, and he has lost 11 points among Democrats in one month alone. 11 points. He cannot survive that. 
That may not not sound like a lot, but when you're talking about the base of your own party, and he is hemorrhaging support among core constituencies like young people. Why? Well, young people have been so radicalized and adopted so much anti-Semitism that they can't believe that he's even been marginally supportive of Israel. So they're falling away from him, but not for the right reasons, but whatever, you know, we'll take it. But, you know, young people, African-Americans, women, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, they are moving away from Joe Biden like crazy. Now, this also means, and we've been talking about this now on this program for a year and a half, when the left's power brokers determine that Joe Biden, as a useful idiot who was installed, not elected, installed, when they decide that they've had enough of him and the useful idiot has now outlived his usefulness, which I think we're at that moment now where they see that, they are beginning to prep the uh, the ground for other potential Democratic candidates. I don't know if you guys saw, but Gavin Newsom, I mean, I, what a fool. Gavin Newsom, who has almost single-handedly destroyed perhaps the most beautiful state in the union, California. Uh, California is a hellhole and a just cesspool of disgusting everything, uh, thanks to the left. And Gavin Newsom has long led the charge there, in both in San Francisco and in the governor's mansion. He went to China, where he is much happier because it's full-blown communism, so he's totally at home there. And he's like alighting around China like an Instagram model, posing at the Great Wall, posing in the Forbidden City. I swear to God, he's like an Instagram influencer over there, meeting with Xi Jinping, who slobbered all over him. Well, when Gavin Newsom was in China, and he may still be in China, I don't know, this is like a 10-day vacation for him, sightseeing around our worst enemy, our most dangerous enemy, apart from the enemy within so he's meeting with Xi Jinping and met with him about, drumroll please, climate change. And he tooled around China in an EV that cost $160,000. That Newsom is so relatable, isn't he? Like totally relatable. Meanwhile, in the state of California, he drove out the biggest EV company, Tesla, with their crazy taxes and regulations. So suffocated Elon Musk and Tesla that Musk moved it out of California to Texas. But there's Newsom gassing around with Xi Jinping about climate change when the Chinese have said, basically, BSed everybody, oh yeah, we're really into climate change and we'll make those changes eventually. They have no intention of doing that. They are a fully industrialized country now, and nothing or no one is going to stop them from continuing their economic progress. So they're certainly not going to hamstring their own economies by doing all this climate change nonsense. They know it's not real. They know climate change is a hoax, and they're not going to play that game. Homie, don't play that. So Xi Jinping BSed him and the naive, ridiculous Gavin Newsom lapped it all up. And then the other day, there was a video of him playing basketball in China with a bunch of Chinese kids. And he fouled out on one of the kids just completely. And I'm not talking like high school or college kids. I'm talking like kids who are like eight 10, 11 years old, and there's Newsom, all six foot two of them, and he's trying to play with the kids, and he fouled out against one of the kids, just plowed right into him. The two of them go crashing to the ground, and Newsom must have realized immediately, oh, this is going to look really bad. So he went to pick up the kid, but he ended up spanking the kid. Like, oh, you tripped me. So he was like playfully spanking the kid, Spanking someone else's child in a foreign country, that is our number one external enemy. And then he's like, oh, ha ha, and then pretended to hug the kid. It was a disaster. (laughs) Meanwhile, on a serious note, when Newsom was in China, no mention of COVID-19 and the fact that the Chinese sent this deadly virus all over the world. 
No mention of China's role in the development of SARS-CoV-2. No mention of the CCP's abysmal human uh, rights track record and the immediate and, and continual oppression of the Uyghurs in China. No mention of Chinese adventurism in the South China Sea. No mention of the 40-year unrestricted warfare that China has been waging against the United States and the West for global domination. No mention of any of that. Just gassing around about climate change and beating up Chinese children. But the Democrats may turn their lonely eyes to this fool, Newsom, uh, because Joe Biden appears to be, uh, soon to be, out of commission. Okay? The other day, he picked up, you know, he loves ice cream. There was a video of him where he was presented with plastic ice cream cones, and he picked one up and put it to his mouth. I don't know if he did that as a joke or if he really did not know that it was plastic ice cream and not real. I don't know. But every passing day, it becomes clear that Joe Biden is not going to make it. And if they do, in fact, end up running him, they got to keep him in the basement because he's incapable. So uh, brace yourselves. We've talked about it on this show. Brace yourselves for what is going to come at us. In the meantime, the Democrats are trying to do like auditions for who might replace them. And of course, the logical person is Kamala Harris. So even though they can't run her because she is so highly unpopular, they're trying to clean her up and roll her out again just to see maybe there could be some traction. There won't be. But they're trying. So they wheeled her out over the weekend on 60 Minutes, and it was a friggin' train wreck. Train wreck. Because the woman is in a constant state of nervous breakdown. She has no idea what she's talking about. She's in way over her head, out of her depth, and she knows it, so she gets really nervous. You know, it's the imposter syndrome where you're in a very high place and you believe and fear that you're going to be exposed as an imposter, as a fraud who doesn't belong there, that's Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is driven by the imposter syndrome. So they wheel her out to try to clean her up and see what the reaction might be to her uh, on 60 Minutes, and she is asked... Um, she's asked about Joe Biden, whether or not, you know, if, if Biden doesn't make it, you know, people are very skeptical about her. And what is her response? Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. So but you do are. know, I mean, that is a concern and, and a legitimate concern, I would say. I hear from a lot of different people, a lot of different things. But let me just tell you, I'm focused on the job. I truly am. So uh, Cackles over here says Joe Biden is very much alive. She was not asked whether he was alive or dead. She was saying he is very much alive. Like that is her first response. He's very much alive. Yeah, because most people believe that this is weekend at Bernie's. Biden is absolutely sucking salt. Kamala Harris knows it. They all know it. She's a nervous wreck. She wants to be president, but she knows deep down she is not ready for this job. She is incapable. And so you get the cackling, you get the nervous laughter, you get this response that he's still very much alive. I mean, is that not a tell? Maybe it really is Weekend at Bernie's. Maybe. <laughs> Kamala Harris, she's full of tells all the time. Maybe he really is dead and they've propped up his body. And so she's running around going, oh, he's still alive. Insane. Meanwhile, Democrats are absolutely freaking out about this little known Minnesota congressman named Dean Phillips, who launched a long shot bid uh, for the presidency on Friday. And uh, he's running around trying to get himself on the ballot And he's saying, look, you know, we need real leadership on the Democrat side. We don't have it in Joe Biden. And the left is like wigging out. Now, Joe Biden says he's running. My personal feeling, the Republican primary is over. The Democrat one has not started yet. 
So he's this guy is running this quixotic campaign against Biden or whomever, but the left is freaking out because they are seeing these poll numbers as well. And they know that Biden is really vulnerable here and probably not going to make it. So do they want to turn to Dean Phillips? No. Do they want to turn to Kamala? No. Do they want to turn to the fool Gavin Newsom, who just basically destroyed his presidential ambitions by slobbering all over the Chinese and literally falling over a Chinese child? Um, Probably not, but they will if they have to. And then, of course, there is Mrs. Obama. Remember that time there was a dead body on the Obama property? Nobody is really talking about that. You see how fast they swept that under the rug? Well, we're getting more and more details about that, about the Obama personal chef paddleboarding at night in dark clothes, drowning in five feet of water. More questions need to be asked and answered about that. But they could turn to Mrs. Obama. We've talked about that here as well. I don't know how it's going to shake out. We're going to see, and we're going to continue to be all over it. In the meantime, while Biden is falling apart, we got some very encouraging news for President Trump. Listen to this. Last week, Bloomberg reported, quote, Trump is winning over swing state voters wary of Biden's economic plan. Here's what they say. Donald Trump is leading Biden in several key swing states as voters reject the economic message that is central to Biden's reelection bid. This according to a poll by Bloomberg News and Morning Consult. Trump, the front runner for the GOP nomination, leads Biden 47 to 43 percent among voters in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Guys, that is huge. That is a four-point lead across all of these major swing states. That is out of the margin of error, which is usually about 3%. So he is leading by 4% across these critical swing states. Incredible. They continue. A 51% majority of swing state voters said the national economy was better off during the Trump administration. And similar numbers said that they would trust Trump over Biden on the economy going forward, 49% to 35%. Wow. The trust issue, huge for voters. Among independent voters, the chasm on trust to handle the economy is even wider, with a 22-point advantage for President Trump. Again, wow. Independent voters in these swing states are going to tip the balance. They go on. Trump was more trusted on several other key issues, including immigration and infrastructure. He also fared better than Biden on U.S.-China relations and the war in Ukraine. Remember when we were constantly told in 2020, oh, elect Biden because national security and foreign policy are his forte. That was always a lie. Remember uh, former Secretary Gates saying straight up, Joe Biden has been on the scene for 40 years And there's never been a foreign policy or national security issue where he was right. Here's why all of this matters. Swing state voters cited the economy more than any other issue as the most important one to them at the ballot box. And on specific pocketbook issues, including the stock market, housing, the cost of everyday goods, the cost of gas, interest rates, and taxes— More respondents trusted Trump by a lot. This is it, guys. This is it. More. Only 26% of voters in this poll said Bidenomics has been good for the U.S. economy. And a whopping 49% saying the policies have, in fact, been bad. The numbers are even worse among those who said the economy was their most important issue. Those voters disapproved of Biden's economic policies, 65 to 14 percent. 
Okay, so this is it. Um, and I want to just do one more poll here. This is Rasmussen reports. 52% of voters do not want refugees from Gaza coming to America. They also asked, which is more important for America's national security? Getting the illegal immigrant crisis at the U.S. border under control? Yes. GOP voters, 79%. Independent voters, 60%. Or supporting Ukraine in its war against Russia? Independent voters, 29%. GOP voters, 14%. Dems way down at 45%. So Biden is losing it across the board, and this is it. So anything could happen, of course. And the deep state has some really dark things up its sleeve, so plenty of nightmares ahead. But if the election were clean, and I know that's a big if, Trump would win in a landslide like he did in 2020. But that is a really big if, right? So we have all of this coming at us. We know that in 2020... The deep state pulled two things out of a hat. They pulled an unprecedented virus to shut down the global economy in order to stop the booming Trump economy. And they triggered a race war over George Floyd. This time around, it looks like they're willing to trigger a holy war. And they're going to have to pair it with something else like last time with a virus. So we will see. We will stay vigilant and we will stay on top of it. And we will fight back. Speaking of the virus from last time, we are now going to turn to our good friend, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, on his new book, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up, and all of the lies that we were fed and continue to be fed. Sit tight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I am absolutely delighted to welcome someone who never lets up in the fight for the Constitution, the rule of law, and the truth. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is one of the very few voices fighting for the facts and the truth about the COVID-19 pandemic. He has been doing this from the very outset of the pandemic, and he has been deep in investigating its origins and how we got to this point and how the government particularly our public health officials like Dr. Fauci, but also our public health institutions like the CDC and the NIH handled it. Why was so much of what we were told throughout and what we're still being told a huge pack of lies? His new book is an extraordinarily important read on all of this. It's called Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up, and it's available now wherever you get your books. Senator Paul, welcome. Thanks, Monica. Thanks for having me. Well, of course, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and so good to have you here. And so nice to see you and Kelly at your book party in New York. Um, You know, as I mentioned this book, and I, I had a copy from the book party, and I'm well into it. It is so important to begin to understand what we have been through over the past three, three and a half years or so, there are so many moving parts on this massive scandal. So let me start by asking you, as you have been on top of this for so long, pursuing the facts and writing this book, what's been the most shocking thing that you have learned? You know, I think we, a lot of us suspect that we're being lied to by people in our government, but I think we never expected uh, how extensive the lying is and how much it permeates all of government. And in this instance, we were able to discover that they were lying to our face, but privately uh, saying completely the opposite. So this goes back to, you know, January, February of 2020. And privately, Anthony Fauci and all of the different famous virologists in our country and around the world were saying, 
oh my goodness, it looks like this virus has been manipulated. It looks like it came from a lab. And Anthony Fauci's own words, he said, and we're very suspicious of the lab in Wuhan because we know that they do gain of function research there. Well, fast forward a year in committee, under oath, I asked Anthony Fauci about this, and he absolutely denies it, says that the NIH has never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. And so in private, they're saying one thing. In public, they're saying another. In private, they were saying this is no fringe theory. This is no conspiracy. This is the real deal. This lab, this virus looks like it came from the lab in public. They condemned people like me and others and called us conspiracy theorists, said it was a fringe theory, said that we were half-baked. Facebook suppressed the any kind of discussion of this for over a year. But it turns out we now have them dead to rights and dead to rights in their own words. It's not us alleging that they lied. We actually have their emails. A federal judge has forced them to reveal their emails. And really, I think more is to come. I think they were also using non-governmental emails. And I think eventually these are going to come out as well. You know, Senator, there is some evidence when we talk about the origins of this virus, there is some evidence that the creation and development of COVID-19 was, in fact, a DARPA project. DARPA, of course, is our military's research arm, so that this was originally a DOD project that we created the genetic code, maybe not the actual physical virus, but we created the genetic code for it, along with Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina and others who were deep in this uh, gain-of-function research, at least creating, again, the genetic code. What can you tell us about that? We do know from a whistleblower that uh, Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina, Peter Dayzak from EcoHealth, and Dr. Xi, the bat scientist from Wuhan, all asked for money from DARPA in 2018. And their project, uh, they were explicit. Their project was to take a coronavirus, like what became COVID, and insert a special site in there called a furin cleavage site. And this allows the virus to uh, break apart some proteins and enter into the cell. We know they asked to do this, and it turns out when you look at COVID, the sequence of the virus, it turns out it looks just like what they were asking to create in 2018. Realize that none of these scientists revealed this. So when they saw the sequence in 20, uh, 2020, at the beginning of 2020, when the sequence of COVID comes out, not one of them stepped forward and said, oh my goodness, this is exactly what the project was that we were involved with in 2018 that actually DARPA denied and didn't give funding to, at least that's what we've found so far. But none of these scientists came forward. Wouldn't you think if that scientist was like, oh, my goodness, here's a clue. I'll call up the government. I'll call up Anthony Fauci. Well, Ralph Barrick does meet for two hours with Anthony Fauci in either January or February of 2020. Uh, my guess is they may have discussed it privately, but then publicly they decided this knowledge is something that is uh, too divisive and it might uh, engender bad feelings to China. So we're not going to we're going to suppress this knowledge. But to my knowledge, Ralph Barrick never admitted it. Peter Daszak never admitted it. Anthony Fauci never admitted it. They didn't admit it in China. We found out about it only because of a whistleblower found it. And here's the interesting thing. This Major Murphy found it. He's a whistleblower. And he wrote up and he said he looked for this information. He suspected it was going on. And he looked in a file in 2020 and it wasn't there. There was no, no, no research grant. He looked a year later after I confronted Dr. Fauci and he said, I know it's got to be there. And he looked in the file and the, and the research paper and the research grant was there. So something's going on. And this is why the subtitle of the book, it, it's deception, but the subtitle is The Great COVID Cover-Up, because I think this cover-up went throughout uh, the far reaches of government. There are eight different agencies of government that have been supplying monies to Wuhan. And people say, how could it be that extensive? How could you have a conspiracy with so many people? And I think George Carlin describes it the best. George Carlin says that conspiracy theories aren't necessary where interests converge. And what we mean by that is everybody that funded this research now thinks, oh, my goodness, if they find out that I was funding this research in China, uh, some some guilt, some culpability will attach to me. And so I have a self-interest. I have an incentive. So all of these bureaucrats all throughout what I would uh, probably refer to as the deep state, it's not like they get together and cackle evilly and say, we're going to do this. 
Many of them have never met each other, but they're all in on the same conspiracy because they all realize independently or jointly that if the U.S. public or the taxpayer find out, finds out they were funding the research that led to the pandemic, that we'd all be rightfully uh, hopping mad. Outraged. Outraged because the assumption is, well, it was the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Chinese created this virus. And if it, the American people knew about the role of these American players in the creation and development of this uh, gain of function research of SARS-CoV-2, it, it would be a, a, a just c- complete outrage. But that's why the truth is so important. So, you know, getting to the Wuhan Institute, Senator Paul, they did did. Anthony Fauci and others, because at some point, uh, President Obama, when he was in office, outlaws gain-of-function research because it's so dangerous. So at that point, then, Fauci and others outsource uh, this kind of dangerous uh, research to places like the Wuhan Institute, and then it's being done there, right? So is it what was all of this gain-of-function research science for science sake? Or was this being done for a darker, more nefarious purpose? You know, they refer to this kind of research as dual use, which means it has a civilian use, but in the wrong hands, it could have a military use. And so the people over here tried to make themselves better. Anthony Fauci would say, first of all, he just denies all of it. Then when he's caught in a lie, he'll say, well, we were doing it, but only with the civilian entities over there. But it turns out that that's not even in, even true. In the book, we reveal that much of the NIH money was going through American universities and being funneled to a place called the Academy of Military Medical Sciences. This is in China. So it's military medical research in China, which, you know, by all appearances would be, uh, you know, biological weapons they're developing. So our universities, UC Berkeley, UC Davis, uh, Galveston, UT Galveston, all these different universities are getting these million dollar grants and then subcontracting some of this money to military research. What we did discover in this book and what the House committee has helped to discover in this book is that a General Yusin uh, was part of the uh, People's Liberation Army, part of the Communist Party in China, a high-ranking official, uh, wanted to develop a vaccine in 2019. And our belief is that he worked in conjunction with Dr. Xi to develop uh, COVID-19, but basically they were developing it, not really intentionally to infect the world, but to develop a vaccine against uh, this virus. And we think at some point in time, there was an accident. And what we know, because is at the end of the Trump administration, they revealed, the State Department revealed that the first three people to get sick in the world, we think patient zero, were actually associates in the gain-of-function lab in Wuhan. They actually have had their names published. Some people call this one scientist Ben Hugh, H-U. They call him patient zero. This was November of 2019, which sort of fits because most people think a pandemic takes about 12 or 13 weeks to percolate until it starts sort of spreading like wildfire. You know, it has to infect a few people here, a few people here, and it's like the the limbs of an infinite tree. It just sort of spreading and spreading. But uh, November sort of fits it's the timeline. Also, this general Yusin has a vaccine by February. And, and scientists look at that incredulously and they say, there's no way you can get a vaccine if it was only sequenced January 11th. How could you have a vaccine two weeks later? Most people think they would have needed to know by November, which goes back to him being in on it from the very beginning and it being an accident. However, the intriguing thing is General Yusin dies two months later in a mysterious fall from a building, either pushed or jumped. Uh, and so, you know, it's not it's sort of a lot of uh, coincidences going on here. And he was a colleague of, of Dr. Xi, who's the most famous Batwoman, who, uh, you know, has gotten hysterical. But initially, she did admit, admit that when it first came out, she didn't sleep at night because she was worried it came from her lab. Now she denies it came from her lab. But all of the evidence, the fact that we haven't been able to find any animals that, that harbor this, we haven't been able to find any humans with antibodies to it back from 2019, other than the three people in her lab, uh, there's so much evidence, just overwhelming evidence. And there have been, you know, I think our book helps to bring it together. But there's also a bunch of other good books out there. Viral by Alina Chan and Matt Ridley is a great book on this as well. Pandemia by Alex Berenson. Uh, you know, what what happened in Wuhan by Sherry Marks. And there's a lot of good books on this. Ours, I think, is the first one to bring together all the points of the cover up that happened within our government. 
You know, when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party, and we focus a lot on China, the CCP, the PLA, what's their culpability in all of this? Was You mentioned an accident. Was this a deliberate leak of this virus? Was it an accident? I mean, I just cannot believe the timing of this highly contagious virus in late summer, early fall of 2019 was a coincidence. There was too much going on, too much ready to go on in the year 2020 with a presidential election here of a re-election of a president who was the most aggressive in taking on China. I, I just, I don't know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Senator Paul, but I just find the timing of all of this incredibly uh, beyond coincidence, shall we say. You know, I think it's hard to, to know things for certain because obviously the Chinese government, the Communist Party is not going to reveal this to us. I think what argues against it being a deliberate release is that it uh, re was released in Wuhan to begin with. And people say, well, they wanted people to get on planes, but it's really not the way you do a weapon. If you want to attack us directly, you might infect people in Wuhan, but you'd infect five or ten of them and put them immediately on a plane. This thing was percolating um, you know, in their city, and uh, and they won't reveal this. They reveal. Have you ever seen the statistics on Chinese death? It's like five people died in China or something ridiculous. Right. They just lie. And I would guess in Wuhan, a city of 15 million people, and it was really bad in the beginning. And the disease was worse when it first came out. It got it got a little bit less dangerous over time, but particularly the first month, it was really dangerous. I would suspect a million people died in Wuhan, you know. And so the thing is, if you're going to release it, I know you can say they think people or expendable and maybe they do it but it still wouldn't make much sense you probably actually wouldn't even infect them in china you'd probably send them with a vial of the stuff and you'd probably uh you know put them on a plane and they would ingest something or inhale something when they get to new york is the way you do it if you're actually doing it as a weapon but there's a possibility that it was being developed also once again for dual use they're trying to develop a vaccine but maybe they were going to vaccinate their population and then release it in, in into the into foreign countries and there's also a possibility it's completely benign. You know, I've met with a Chinese embassy trying to convince them if this was an accident, come be forthcoming. Let us know and we'll all try to work on it because, look, we funded it. So we have some uh, we have some responsibility, too. And my main thing is we're doing gain of function research in 12 labs still in the U.S. So, you know, it could be nefarious in China, but if it was an accident there, an accident could happen here. And in the book, I quote uh, a woman who wrote a book about accidents. She said a thousand accidents, a thousand leaks have happened in our country of dangerous viruses in the last 10 years. So this is not unheard of. We also live in an era now, though, where you can get on the Internet and from a DNA uh, company, uh, DNA synthesis company, you can order parts of DNA and RNA and you can construct your own virus. That You can actually order the parts to construct polio and make polio from stuff you can buy on the Internet. It's just unbelievable and incredibly dangerous to think about. You know, people talk about the wide open border and the threat of terrorism and the threat of chemical attack or biological attack. I say, well, we've been under biological attack for the last three years. This was a bioweapon and we can debate whether it was an accident or deliberately leaked or whatever, but it, this was a bioweapon. You know, thinking back uh, Senator Paul, and, and through all of your um, your your intensive work on this subject and exposing the lies of Drs. Fauci and Burks, Burks wrote a book, I guess, last year where she admitted all kinds of things. And, and oh, yeah, we knew at the time that the vaccine did not prevent transmission. And, and we knew all of this at the time. I mean, and now they're telling us the truth. But someone <laughs> like in particular, like Dr. Fauci, got incredibly wealthy over the last three years. What are his serious conflicts of interest here? You know, there's a couple of ways to look at it. You can look at Burks or Fauci and just say, well, they're elitist and they believe that they can lie if it's for the common good. And I think there is a certain element of that. There's sort of this platonic or noble lie when Fauci said, oh, masks don't work. He said, oh, the reason I'm saying that is because we wanted to save the masks for the doctors. I was telling people something that I could, he thought was untrue at the time in order to save masks for others. Do I think he's an evil person? I used to give him more of the benefit of the doubt in the sense that you could be for doing gain-of-function research and say, I want to do it to create new vaccines against potential pathogens and that I'm an honest person trying to help mankind. 
but the there's no real defense of his cover up. You know, once he saw the culpability and his lying to the public and saying in private one thing and in the other saying, you know, this and that, do I think he had a direct monetary benefit? I don't necessarily think so. Although his wealth went from seven to 12 million during the pandemic, he was given a million dollar prize by a private foundation. He and his wife worked for the government, have combined salaries over $800,000. So there's a lot of money changing hands. But I do think that um, there is a possibility for a conflict of interest, particularly with people gaining royalties from pharmaceutical companies. And so I ask him directly in the committee, and this is, story is included in the book, I ask him, are any of the scientists on the vaccine committees receiving royalties from the manufacturers of the vaccine? And he wouldn't answer the question. He got all hot and bothered and said some obscure law from 1980 uh, tells him that he doesn't have to do it. And basically, it's an insult to all of us. I mean, you couldn't serve on the city council in my hometown here in Kentucky. And when they go to purchase books for the schools, not reveal that you own the book company that's putting a bid in for the school's textbooks. You can't do that. Nobody can do that. Everybody knows that's wrong, unethical, and most time illegal. And yet they will not tell us to this day. And that's one of the things I plan on changing is through legislation. I'm going to I'm going to force all the scientists to reveal their royalties. And it's not a small number. We know that 1,800 scientists at the NIH received over $193 million over, I think it's over a 10-year period. So there's a lot of money changing hands here. We know that one of the scientists who initially said that it came from the lab, Christian Anderson, a close uh, uh, colleague of, of Fauci, he initially said, gosh, this is, talk me off the ledge. This looks like it came from the lab. This looks like it's mutated in the lab. We know they're doing gain of function. He's completely sold on that on February 1st. On February 4th, he begins writing an article at the behest of Dr. Fauci to call everybody crazy and to say there's absolutely no way this could have come from a lab. They actually say in the abstract of this paper, Proximal Origins, they say this virus is not a laboratory construct. Those are pretty strong words. But then in May of that year, he gets a $9 million grant from Dr. Fauci's NIH. Now, people say, oh, and Christian Anderson will say, oh, this was already been approved the previous year by all the committees. Yeah, but the final signature from Fauci didn't occur until May. And there's an email exchange between them, him thanking him for the for the research money. And so, yeah, there's a question of whether or not money is changing hands. Our money, frankly, taxpayer money, is being given to people to be quiet and to cover up. And I think money is a big part of the cover-up, as well as the self-incentive just to hide the truth that the U.S. taxpayers actually did fund the research that led to the pandemic. Doctors Fauci, Burks, Redfield, Valensky, uh, they've, they've all just lied to us for years on end, uh, possibly even committed some crimes here. Do you think we will ever see accountability for these lies and these crimes? I know you're on top of it, but do you think that they are well protected by the system and that they will never face the music for what they've done? You know, I think they should face the music, and it's not for lack of trying. You know, I've referred uh, Fauci twice for felony charges. It's a it's a felony crime punishable up to five years for lying to Congress. And does it ever get uh, prosecuted? Yeah, if you happen to be a Republican or from the Trump administration, they prosecuted a couple of people. They arrested people at six in the morning in their underwear in front of their family with 17 FBI agents for, for supposedly lying to Congress. In this case, you know, the attorney general now, I believe, is one of the most partisan attorney generals we've had in our in our history of our country. I think he's still bitter over being blocked by Republicans from being on the Supreme Court. And frankly, it worries me as I travel the country, more people come up to me um, alarmed and worried that uh, they'll be prosecuted um, based on their ideology and, or their political uh, associations. And this is a sort of a can be a chilling effect. And it's a, it also bitterly poses us against each other. You know, that, you know, someone's not in our tribe, someone's on the other side, and we'll get those people by prosecuting them. And frankly, I think that's what's going on with, with the Trump prosecutions. And um, it's, it's sort of backfired. It's made uh, Trump more the martyr than, than anything. Um, but it also could be calculated in the sense that Democrats may be fine with uh, allowing him to win the primary again. They'd rather run against him in the fall. But the bottom line is it's very destructive to a country for people to believe that you will be persecuted, prosecuted, put in prison based on your political ideology. 
absolutely. The weaponization of our own government against us is the most dangerous threat that we face. And we saw this kind of corruption shot through all of our public health officials, all of our public health institutions. And you have done us such a great service over all these years, and certainly with this book called Deception, in excavating the truth and telling us the truth, arming us with the facts so that we can prevent it from ever happening again. Because as you lay out, and I think most of the American people now see with Fauci and Burks and the others, for them, it was never really about a virus that had an over 99% survival rate, right? It was about the power and the control and testing to see how compliant the American people would be, how many of their freedoms they would so easily give up. And now they know, because I think we all failed the test because they weaponized fear more than they even weaponized the virus. Um, final question for you, Senator. Is there a solution to all of this to prevent this kind of thing and all of its attendant abuses of power from happening again? Yeah, and that's a, a big purpose of the book. It isn't just about culpability or jail time for those who broke the law. It's also about trying to figure out a way this doesn't happen again. Uh, this dangerous gain-of-function research where they take viruses and mix them together to try to see if they can create viruses that are more lethal or more infectious to humans is very, very dangerous. We set up back in 2017 a committee that's supposed to oversee this, um, but Fauci gave the research in Wuhan an exemption. They were allowed to go around the committee, and that in itself is in all likelihood a crime as well that we're still investigating. But there needs to be a committee. It needs to be independent. Because it's complicated. You know, for example, I'm not against trying to genetically create bacteria that make insulin. We do that now. We have bacteria that make certain biological drugs for us, and these are miraculous cures. So not everything that is done genetically is bad. In fact, a lot is good. So it needs to be a group of dispassionate scientists. But the group that are overseeing the research need to have the ability to look at all the research. The current setup is they only get to look at what is self-referred. So if you're doing this research and you say, oh, mine might be dangerous, why don't you look at mine? The people doing dangerous research don't believe any of theirs is dangerous, so they didn't send it. So the Wuhan stuff never made it, and Fauci hid this. So the committee needs to be comprised of people who have the power to reach into every part of government and to look at the research. The people on the committee need to be people not receiving money. So it's a problem if I'm on the committee and you're on the committee and we're both virologists and I know you well and we go to meetings together and we're friends. When your grant comes up, I'll approve it if you approve mine. Now, it's not said that explicitly, but that's the way it becomes. It's a very chummy sort of world. It's a small world. And it turns out that's the way a lot of science grants are doled out by the NIH. The people approving them, they say, oh, we want experts in that field. So they're all virologists, but they all know each other. There's like 50 or 100 prominent virologists in the world, and they're all sitting on the committees dispensing grants to each other, and it becomes very incestuous. So you've got to have people on the committee that are outside of that. I frankly would reconstruct, reconstruct all of the scientific committees to have at least one person on there that's not involved in the field at all, maybe not even a scientist. But if you want to have a scientist, maybe there should always be a scientist representing some of the major diseases. So diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, um, you know, heart disease, some, some major diseases that really probably should get 80 to 90 percent of the money anyway. Maybe they should be overseeing as this research going on and, and have a vote in where it's dispensed. Maybe there ought to be a taxpayer, just a, someone with common sense who can read and understand uh, enough to know whether this has danger or not. And then maybe there should be some some specific people in the field as well. But it can't be dominated by people receiving it. Many people have written about this, and we have a group of 33 scientists that we talk about in the book who have come forward with a proposal. I'm in the process of taking that proposal, and these aren't Republicans. These aren't conservatives. I have no idea the politics of all these doctors. In fact, some of them I know are way on the other side, but they've come together with a proposal, and I'm putting it into legislation, and this will be a gain-of-function research uh, regulatory bill. And still trying to get Democrats interested in this, it's been, you know, incredibly laborious to get any of them. And so far, we still have uh, no Democrat officially signed on to any legislation or interested in helping, but we're still trying. Uh, well, thank you for that. And for all of your efforts, Senator, I mean, I think a lot of people look at the Democrats protecting 
Dr. Fauci and protecting this incredibly corrupt system. And that leads to thinking that, you know, this pandemic was a pandemic or that the, the system, you know, that this was a deliberate release, et cetera, because it would be straight common sense just from a humanity standpoint to want to do what you're talking about, to make sure that our public health systems are free of all of this kind of corruption and conflicts of interest. And the fact that an entire political party, the Democrats, are stonewalling this, it raises a lot of very serious questions about their motives, the motives of our public health officials, and so on. So we give you so much credit for smashing through all of this, excavating the truth, putting it all in this book. The book is called Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up. And if you want to have the facts as we have them now, the truth as we understand it now, go and get this book. It is such an incredibly important read. You got to arm yourself with the facts because the next pandemic could be worse. And we have to understand what we've just been through to understand what we may be up against next. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Monica. Thanks for having me. Wow, guys, what a show today, right? I mean, blowing the doors off. Thank you so much for being here as always and for checking out our sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Uh, Have a good beginning and middle of your week and I will see you right back here on Thursday with another huge show. We're going to talk to the one and only Bill O'Reilly and cover so much more, including what is going on with President Trump in the state of Colorado. We'll be all over that and more on Thursday. We'll see you then. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Behakel Entertainment, LLC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.